HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Of A Kind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit ofakind.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Greg Blaze, live on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, today we're going to be speaking with uh, two lovely cheese gals, one of whom is with, in, me, in the studio here with me, uh, Lena Santigate, um, the Arethusa Dairy. Welcome. Thanks, Greg. Good to have you. Nice to see you. We are friends, so it's always nice to have your friends around you. Cheese friends, Roberta's, <laughs> you can't go wrong. No, not, not at all. Um, I'm also going to be interviewing... Um, a gal I met um, at the Saxon Creamery when I was on a trip with the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board, and we're going to be talking to her after the break. So, Elena, you barely made it. You uh, biked <laughs> over quickly to see us. We really appreciate that. Anytime. <laughs> I love biking around Brooklyn and New York City in general with a piece of amazing cheese in my bag. <laughs> Especially when the temperature goes up to 80 degrees. It's true. It's um, actually, it helps. <laughs> it tempers the cheese. Mm-hmm. So Elena, uh, for those of you who don't know her, is, uh, is a cheesemonger and, an, and a cheesemaker uh, of some renown in New York City and in America. Uh, she's <laughs> worked many jobs, and uh, right now she's at a farm called the Arethusa Dairy. In Litchfield, Connecticut, yep. and she's helping them uh, to develop um, a cheese-making program there. They uh, have been around since uh, about 99 yep. with the dairy, yeah, and correct. then uh, recently they just uh, purchased a creamery, or they built a creamery. We built a, cre- we built a creamery um, out of in an old firehouse in oh, Bantam, wow. Connecticut, yeah, about f- a little less than five miles down the road from our farm. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about Arethusa and what they're all about and why you went there. Yeah. Um, Arethusa Farm is a really special place. It's, uh, we're about two hours north of the city. And originally, it was a dairy farm way back in the day, about 100 years before the current ownership. Um, and 
you know, like many dairy farms, it kind of transformed. It was a horse farm at one point, and then it was just kind of there. And the owners, Tony Yergatis and George Malcolmus, um, have a home nearby and are really invested in the local community in Litchfield and Bantam, Connecticut. And they saw this property go up for sale, and they wanted to revitalize it as a dairy farm. And, you know, we hear more and more about dairy farms that are, you know, going out of business or shutting down. And I think it's really exciting. Yeah, uh, very unfortunate. But um, the great thing, the great story in Litchfield, Connecticut, is that, you know, we're sort of newer to the scene and bringing it back um, and have some great neighbors doing so as well. So, yeah, they they purchased the farm in 1999 with the goal to basically just start bottling milk, fluid milk. And they started doing that. And we're just kind of selling it into, you know, commodity milk, good you know, regular milk production. So they took the dairy farm over and then uh, they purchased a herd of animals? Yeah, they sort of, we've built up the herd over the years. Sure. What kind of uh, cows do you got over there? We have Holstein, Jersey, and Brown Swiss. Sure. Very happy cows. Really? Well, the first time I visited the farm, the thing that most struck me was the silence in our milking barn. I mean, these cows were like chilling out, (laughs) having a nice life. Um, And that's always a good indicator of happy, healthy animals. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, you know, they were bottling milk. And at at one point, basically, Tony and George are drinking the milk and looking at each other and say, this is really good. We got to do more with this. And we we need to also do more with the local community. So um, they decided to build the dairy, the creamery, and um, start making products for sale locally. Now, we've uh, we purchased at Italy some of your, uh, your fresh cheeses. Uh, your farmer's cheese is fantastic, mm-hmm. and we yeah. have your yogurt and, uh, I believe, your sour cream, yeah. as well as your fluid milk, which we love. Um, a question that I had or what I was thinking about when... You told me that you were start, you know, that you had some cheese for me, which mm-hmm. we're tasting here in the studio. It's a blue vein cheese, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, is what's the value added for them to make cheese? Was it just something that they wanted to do, or uh, is that is that something that adds value to the dairy? That's a great question, um, especially because the success that they've had locally with the cultured uh, yogurt and sour cream and fresh farmer's cheese, those products has been really tremendous. Um, You know, to answer it, the simplest answer to that is really to say it all stems from the quality of the milk. And I think as time has gone by and the milk continues to show itself as just absolutely lovely, um, the, the impulse to create more products, products for a different audience, um, you know, high-quality cheese, kind of get into that world, bring it to a new market in New York and get people excited about it. it that sort of was the, the inspiration. And how did they find you to do this? How did you come hmm. to be hooked up with these gents? <laughs> um, well, actually through a fellow cheese friend, Liz Thorpe, uh-huh. um, you know, very well-known in our world and a great uh, mentor and friend. She was, you know, sort of talking to them about uh, the future of the dairy and the future of how they could take their products to the next level and to a new market. And out of that collaboration um, grew the idea to bring on a sales and marketing person based in New York City who could really open up uh, the New York market to the aged cheeses and then also the, the cultured products. 
So you do that for them, but mm-hmm. I know you make cheese and you like to touch the cheese. So do you get in there in the make room? Do you take part in the I, cheese making? Product? Unfortunately, I haven't actually gotten my hands on Arethusa curd yet. But it's I, I, it's on my priority. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very <laughs> upset. There is a downside to not living at the farm full time. That's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I started out as just a amazing. I I was a big enthusiast of cheese in general, and then got into making cheese and experimenting on my own, and then went the retail route. So um, you know, our cheese maker and our production team, they. They've all got a real handle on what our milk can do and how to sort of bring forth the the best flavors in it. Um, well, based on the mix of uh, of cattle that you got, you said you have brown Swiss, you have mm-hmm. Jerseys and Holsteins. Mm-hmm. So the Holsteins make the bulk of the milk, mm-hmm. I imagine. Yeah. Um, and then the Jerseys give it the rich, that richness. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, and uh, I don't know, the brown Swiss, I guess, are in the middle. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're they're classy in the in the they milking look nice. barn. They do look nice. They look good. They change it up. They fit well in there. That's they're, true. They're they fit a lot. Yeah, they, they they take the smaller stalls. <laughs> um, and based on you know the mixture that you've got, mm-hmm. um, how do they come to make uh, mature cheeses? I know that you know you got the creamery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're selling your fresh cheese locally. They bring you in. Uh, you sell fluid milk outside of the local market. You bring it into the New York City, the metropolitan area, and the fresh cheeses, mm-hmm. too, a bit. Um, Andy and I drink a ton of your milk. I have, like, <laughs> several gallons in my refrigerator at home. Um, and we have to mark them because I drink them out of the carton sometimes. Oh, but so Greg's milk. <laughs> Take a, a sharpie It says a G on it. Okay. Um, but how did you decide uh, what to make for mature cheeses? Well, I think that, you know, it's been really interesting watching Arethusa develop um, and getting to know the history of the dairy and the farm. Um, You know, at first, I think they they basically decided to do what a lot of newer cheesemakers do, which is kind of throw a lot of different ideas at the wall and see what works. And so the sense of experimentation is really wonderful among our, you know, our staff there in Bantam. Um, And... Essentially, you know, when I came on board, the the production manager, cheesemaker, and I, he and I sat down and sort of tasted through all of the cheeses and talked about what what was really working in a special way and where our milk flavors were coming through in in a way that was unique and exciting and some it was something that we could build on. Um, and I think with the fresh uh, products like the farmer's cheese that you guys have at Italy um, and our yogurts, you get such a bright, fresh, clean flavor. Absolutely. And, and the cream comes through a lot. And that's sort of what led to our, our focus sort of has really, we've honed in on, really developing and taking extra care to develop three specific cheeses, one of which I have here in front of us today. Yeah, it looks pretty nice. It tastes even better. Yeah. What's that first one called? So this is the Arethusa Blue. Uh, and this uh, this is a really exciting cheese for us. It's our one and only blue cheese at Arethusa. And uh, it is landing here in New York, uh, or rolling here from, in, a, in our van from <laughs> nice. Litchfield, uh, this Wednesday to a handful of really select retailers. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. What type of blue cheese is this? So this is a Stilton-style blue cheese. It's a We add our own cream to it, so it's got an extra creamy mouthfeel and finish, and it's a natural rind cheese. So, again, using our cow's milk and only piercing, we only pierce the wheels once, uh, which, you know, the, the number of times you pierce a wheel of blue cheese can result in more or less 
blueing in the cheese. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's definitely a strong blue presence, but it's really balanced with our cream and the flavors of our fresh Well, the paste milk. was nice and glossy and rich. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I love, I love blue cheeses. Um, I especially love Stilton, so I thought that might have been what the recipe was. Um, you use, oh, excuse me, you use uh, traditional rennet for that? Uh, yes. And does that rennet come... How, how, do, are you making this cheese, um, you know, from the farm? Are you using uh, cultures that are produced on the farm and rent it from your uh, from your own herd of animals? We're not quite there yet, <laughs> but that that would be a, a really full circle way to do it. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Well, not funny. It's it's interesting to note for me um, uh, when I buy cheeses from uh, U.S. producers, mm-hmm. uh, they go one of two ways. Generally, mm. either you have a farmstead uh, product, and they make one cheese, like mm. you know, or one or one or two cheeses, um, which I like. And then sometimes you get people and they make like sixty cheeses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I have no idea which one to pick or why they're <laughs> making any of them. So three is a nice number, a nice small number. So it sounds like you can really focus and um, you know and get your uh, your recipes down and you know and do and do your thing. What are the other two? Well, the other two um, are we have a bloomy that we're working on, uh-huh. soft, small format bloomy cheese. And you know, the thing I'll say about that is we're go- we're doing a lot of different, uh, you know, just different experiments with it. And one thing that I've quickly learned from working with our cheesemaker on that one is that simple does not mean easy. No, when it comes to cheesemaking, and seeing it firsthand is pretty impressive, but also is really fun. I mean, there's so many different directions you could go with a cheese, and Certainly. it's been really exciting to be part of a, a development process. Um, so that one, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's going in a few different directions, and we're excited about it. And then we're working on an aged cheese uh, called Tapping Reeve. Tapping Reeve, what Tapping does that mean? Reeve. It's named after, I love this piece of history. Okay. Uh, it's named after a man who, and, and also a school. And Tapping Reeve was the founder of the first comprehensive law school in the United States of really? America uh, called Tapping Reeve. And that law school is located in Litchfield, Connecticut. So, lawyer cheese. Lawyer, local lawyer local history lawyer cheese. Cheese history. <laughs> Interesting. Feed it to your lawyer. Maybe they'll give you a discount. <laughs> I like the way it sounds. Tapping yeah, Reeve. Tapping Reeve. That's interesting. And Tapping Reeve is, um, you know, really our cheesemaker, Chris Casello. Um, he he brought this cheese to fruition, so to speak. And it's a New England style aged cheese, which is how he describes it, which I like. And, you know, what does that mean? Because that can I don't mean know. A I'm from New England. Things. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm like a New England style aged cheese monger. Interesting. Well, then this is the cheese for you. <laughs> Essentially, it has um, some cheddar notes, sure. some of the sort of nutty, sweeter notes yep. that we lo- love in aged cheeses. And it kind of combines those two dominant flavor profiles in a really unique way. Certainly. So that one will be is arriving. That a pasteurized cheese? Or yep. A- yeah, pasteurized. And so is the Arethusa Blue. Um, and those, the Tapping Reeve will uh, hopefully be arriving in New York closer to the fall. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually wondering, just as a matter of course, uh, what is, uh, is Arethusa, because I'm not very bright, was Arethusa <laughs> a place? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, Arethusa is actually the name of an orchid. And uh, this orchid grows around the Litchfield Bantam area and has been rumored to grow in parts of our farm. 
Rumored. Yeah, I haven't seen one myself, but I'm going to put my wellies on and go hiking around to see if I can find one. Orchids are beautiful. Yeah. And quite rare. Yeah. That's a great name for a, for a farm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, you know we're going to take your cheese if you want to sell us any, especially <laughs> after I've tasted it here. Um, oh, that's great. Well, when do you think that that is going to – when do you think that the older cheese is going to be available? I think we're aiming for Tapping Reef to be available in the fall just before the holiday season. So that will be a fun one to launch. And right. we are making other aged cheeses as well, actually. Um, but they're, you know, very – they they're very specific to the local market and we've had a lot of success with them out there so it's nice to have a history of the customer base that loves the cheeses we started sure. with and so if if anybody goes out people to, have to buy the cheese man. yeah exactly I mean, you can make a lot of cheese but you know people have to buy it so it's that's, true that's cool so a visit to Vantum, connecticut to our little retail shop will yield you some other treasures as well i'd love to i'd love to go out there mm-hmm well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to keep Elena with us and talk to Lisa Hall about her cheese and the Saxon Creamery. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. design? Check out Of A Kind, a site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up-and-coming makers. The site has featured over 200 designers and offers limited edition pieces you can't find anywhere else, along with the studio tours, travel guides, even recipes from the designers. To find out more, head to ofakind.com and sign up for the site's newsletter. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. We're coming to you live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, Roberta's. I'm probably going to eat several pizzas after I get out of this show. Um, and um, the first uh, segment of our show, we talked to Elena Santagate, who's working for the Arethusa Dairy, and uh, she's going to stay with us. And we're going to talk to my second guest, who is named Lisa Hall, and she works for the Saxon Creamery. Lisa, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey there. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's nice to talk to you again. I was very much hoping to be able to speak to you again. Um, when I was out on a, a great little tour uh, with the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board about a month ago, we went to a bunch of cheese producers and uh, and creameries um, in and around the Madison uh, area. And one of the places we visited was the Saxon Creamery in Cleveland, Wisconsin. 
And I've been buying cheese from them for several years at at Italy. I buy their cheese called Greenfields. And we were able to go out and see them make room and see how these guys make cheese. It's a great little dairy, fifth uh, fifth generation Wisconsin family farm. They take all the milk from their own little herd, and they bring it over to the creamery where their master cheesemakers and some licensed cheesemakers make fantastic sort of what I would describe as alpine-style cheeses. Would you agree? Yes. Actually, um, we have adopted a lot of uh, old-world-style ways of making cheeses, put a little spin on them, and kind of made them our own. You're fan- you're, they're fantastic. When, the, when I was out there, um, it was supposed to be spring, but it was definitely still winter. And uh, <laughs> we were cold, but we had had a lot of beer the night before to keep us warm. So we went into the nice steamy make rooms. And uh, when we came out, Lisa was waiting for us uh, with a cheese called uh, Snowfields. And um, I brought some of that into the studio today, so uh, we're eating that. And that is a uh, butter cast um, that's made out of the rich winter milk. Is that correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The herd um, is generally still out on the pastures, even with the snow, and they're feeding them back um, stacked feeds and grasses from the summers. They stack them, and then they feed them back from in winter. So they're still kind of getting the grasses. But between the weather, the climate, and the type of cow, it really increases the butter fats and proteins in the milk. So we're able to make this very special cheese for a very limited time, and it's during the winter months. That's fantastic. What kind of cows are, are, uh, are giving you your milk out there? We've got a cross-breed of Jerseys and Holsteins and then Black Star. Black Star. Mm-hmm. What are those guys? I've never heard of those guys. <laughs> And, and <laughs> or gals, I should say. One of those gals. From New Zealand. So, you know, they, they spend a lot of time really on their breeding program and bringing in cows that adapt very well to being outside all the time. Oh, fantastic. And they got real wide mouths for grazing. <laughs> and they give this real rich milk. Oh, fantastic. So they give less milk and it's richer? That's correct. Yep. It's more about quality instead of quantity. Well, that cheese, it definitely comes through. We brought it in, and it's a, it's a cheese. We have all kinds of crazy aged cheeses at Italy, and we have uh, all kinds of funky, you know, sort of astringent and, and uh, lactic sour and all these, these just all these really complex cheeses. And uh, I was just struck by how just, like, straightforward the texture and flavor was and how rich the milk was. And uh, we really like it, so... Um, you know, Thank I, w- you. I would, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, I re- I really did. It's a it's a good cheese, and um, it struck me as did you. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what do you do for the creamery? I mean, I I was there so early in the morning. Um, I remember everything you said to me, but but I don't remember exactly. <laughs> what do you do? Are you making cheese with those guys back there? No, I don't. That's the one thing I don't do. Um, I have done just about everything else in the factory, and I do have a great appreciation for our cheesemakers, and they have to have, you know, a license, so I would never claim that fame ever be back there. But I do appreciate how they make the milk and learning that process. Um, I came into this, um, I lived in Milwaukee, and yeah. I really, really wanted to have my own little herd of jerseys. I know. You, you told me, this is what I was hoping you would say, you told me this great story that was unfortunate but also amazing. So I'm happy to please share with us your experience. Um, I came to this factory um, mainly um, after having my own experience. I, I really wanted to move out of the city and have my own farm, raise my own feed. 
um, and and my my own animals, and just you know really get into like making butters and ice creams, and you know just kind of being self sufficient because yeah. you know that it's so rare. And um, were you able to do that for a bit? I yeah, I you know we we did we beat all odds. That's um, we really had no support from anybody, and to start a dairy farm from scratch was probably, you know, in, in everybody's mind around us, they, they probably did think, oh my gosh, they're, they're just not going to, you know, succeed. But we did. And, and actually, I, I had a little herd of 28 Jersey girls. Did you know and, them all? Did you, um, did, we milked them. And with the proteins, we got lots of bonuses because that is an extra creamy milk. Um, and um, then we got to a point where we really wanted to get a little bit bigger by adding a tractor yeah. to help us. And because um, we were doing all this manual labor and we just wanted to get a tractor and, sure. and, that and sounds we just right. need a little extra money. Okay. And uh, so we went to the, um, the Department of Ag in our county and asked them for a little loan. We just wanted, you know, $30,000 to get a tractor and kind of help us out here. And they wanted to give us a beginning farmer loan, but in, in that process, I had to go through a, a scrutiny of, of applications, and they had to interview um, just about everybody that we know, um, just to, you know, check out our background, and, and I appreciate that. And then they came back, and they said, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna borrow you one hundred fifty thousand dollars, but you're gonna need to increase your herd, and um, you're gonna need to you know, with that, then you have to buy more land or rent land because uh, you have to have so many animals yikes. on per acre. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't, I mean, that just seems so unfortunate that they would do that to you. I don't. Yep. Why, and what was the result of that? Um, well, my husband and I, we took a real serious look at this because both of us worked outside the home and we did farming. So we had a full-time job and full-time farming with these girls. And did you ever sleep? Ever? Nope. Nope. About four hours. That was about it. <laughs> but it's a love. It's a love. It's, it's not a concerted job. It's, it's your lifestyle. So we never really thought badly about doing what we were doing, no, no. but we we thought, golly, one hundred fifty thousand. That means we now have to loan or put a mortgage on on our land that we own, you know, free and clear on our on our cars, on our house, you know. And I was pregnant, so I'm sure they would have had me, you know, put a lien on that too. Oh, my firstborn. That, so hey, <laughs> gotta draw the line somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and and so we, we we took a hard look at it and thought to ourselves, okay, this is a beginning farm loan. That's a very generous offer, but you know, do we do we really want to stretch ourselves that thin, um, and and really accomplish what we wanted to do? We had to, you know, step back and are we really doing what we want to do, or are we being self sufficient, or is this now going to become a, a, a major business? So. Um, we we thought about it, and I went to the office, and I, I I told them thank you, but we are going to, you know, deny the offer. And the look on their face and their mouths dropped open. They couldn't believe that I had done that. Why but, do you think that is? <laughs> just because I mean, um, you know, it, it was a genus offer. It was fantastic, but I didn't want to do it. Well, I but why didn't you want to do it? I mean, that's I feel like. I know, like, I feel like you were in a spot where you were happy and you, yes. were, you were self-sufficient. You yep. were free and, free and clear. Uh, yes. You were subsisting 
You know, you, yes. you, were, you were an independent farm. That's and, right. And uh, in order to get a small amount of money, uh, the Department of Agriculture, it seems to me, wanted to buy into what you had and sort of own part of what you were going to do. Yes. Which seems yep. to be able to put a lot more stress on you. Yeah. Uh, shrink whatever – well, I mean, the profit margins on your happiness obviously would have gone down by a lot. Yes. And mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that's unfortunately something that just is a little bit too prevalent in our uh, society today, especially when it comes to agriculture. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe you could speak to that. No, I agree. I, I actually I kind of looked it up a little bit because one thing that, you know, it was a very hard decision to make, yes, because we, no, one, we just wanted to continue doing what we were doing. We really didn't want to, you know, become a business. But on the other hand, we also then had to make a decision. If we can't get what we need, then do we continue doing what we're doing? So, you know, we, we ended up selling the cows uh, and kept a couple. Wow. You kept a couple, um, though. Yep, kept a couple and, and milked them and, you know, got my butter, got my ice cream, and, and I just loved them to death. Um, so, and that still made us happy, but it, it, I still go back on it and I think, God, I know that was, that was a very hard decision to make. Um, but every week we, we, we still get the farm paper and, it, you know, there's at least that's, three to four auctions. But the, do you feel that that's a, that's a, a position that a lot of people, a lot of dairy yes. farmers in and around you are put in every day? And yep. does that affect the amount of people? Do you think there's a lot more people making the decision that you made? Absolutely. Um, I was looking up, and I actually call our Department of Ag to get some numbers. And, you know, it, it is astonishing because they're losing about over 500 dairies a year. 500 and, dairies a year. Yeah, most of those dairies are, you know, under 100 head. But so, so how many can you lose? So, so you're losing 500 a year for how many years? How many years until they're just only – now, are they losing the animals too? Or are they just no, and the that was the thing is is in talking to them and getting the statistics, the numbers of licenses of farms are going down, but what's happening is the existing farmers are buying the cattle, so our cow numbers are still up there and they're still even rising, but the number of farms that are are operating are are going down. That seems to me to be a shame, but I don't I don't know. I'm not a farmer, and <laughs> I know that I like, you know, my, when I was talking to Elena, you know, she's, uh, she's worked for some people. They own their own farm. They have a small amount of cows, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. They have more cows than your 20 that right. you had. But, they, but I, I feel like that's just so – that's just becoming so difficult for people to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's unfortunate because the small family farm is going away. Is there any way we could put a stop to that? How, how, how does that stop, or where does that end? I think we need to educate our younger generations, because I think part of it is, like, family farms, their younger generations have, just don't either have the interest in farming, or, or it is considered a lot of work. You know, maybe they don't want to do, um, you know, all the things that are involved. And, and speaking from my own um, situation, it's stressful. We we thought about our farm morning, noon, night, all the time. It's a labor of love for you. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And you got to have your own ice cream. I would do a lot if I was able to make my own ice cream. I know that seems so <laughs> petty, but I don't know. Well, that's that's 
I mean, and I remember sitting with you in the in the creamery, and uh-huh. uh, from my point, uh, all I can do because the Saxon is not a large operation, That's so right. I know um, that you you loved to work with them, and uh, and I'm glad you do because then I, I get to meet you, and um, all all we can do, I guess, as the retailers, and as just keep buying cheese from those small dairies. Yep, and and that that's kind of what brought me to here is, you know, I I still have a passion for very good food, and and knowing where my food comes from, and um, working for this family, it it has been just an exceptional ride. That's for fantastic. Me. I know. Uh, I wish we had more time because you could tell me about Big Ed driving his tractor into the uh, into the state capitol and bringing his cows there to stop some legislation. Uh, maybe I can get you on another time and you can tell me that story. Absolutely, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I like vigilance and activism. Those are things I, I enjoy. Um, well, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on and. Uh, you guys should try the snowfields. It's fantastic. Lisa, and, uh, it's really delicious. I've, as Greg's you. been talking to you here in the studio, I'm just eating it. That's all I'm doing, sitting here. <laughs> you know good. what? If you guys dip that in dark chocolate, <laughs> you just took it to a different level. A good one. I do things like that, but I don't really talk about it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank, thank you, you so for much. This opportunity. It's my pleasure, and thank you, Elena, for coming on. Um, I yeah. hope you guys enjoyed that episode of uh, Cutting the Curd, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>